recently had this debate with a bunch of my friends who are also either autistic or have ADHD. Uh, and we sort of fell onto the conclusion that um, for a lot of neurodivergent folks, probably not just autistic and ADHD people, but those happen to be the ones I know the most of, you're sort of always rejected by no normal standard, in quotes, society. Uh, and so you're sort of forced to think about what things really mean and why they mean what they mean. And I think if you're at least somewhat non-monogamous, um, it's an easy step to make that maybe love the way people describe it isn't the way you experience it, and maybe it's not what you want out of it. Um, and if you're inclined to research enough, I think you'll eventually end up at non-monogamy. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 204. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Jan. Jan is a 25-year-old pansexual relationship anarchist, and we have a great conversation around transitioning and healing relationships and on boundaries. Yeah, one of the other really exciting things about Jan is he and some other people he actually met through Reddit are collaborating and working on a project to create a new polyamory flag or a new flag to sort of unite polyamory under. So they're not looking to make any money with this. It's just a, a sort of a passion project for them. And we wanted to bring him on to talk about that because it's super exciting. Yeah. Jan will go into all of the details, but you can find all of their work at polyamproud.com. Links are in the show notes. Before we jump into the show, we do have a couple of quick announcements. First up, a huge, 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 huge. Thank just you. Absolutely. Huge. Yeah. Thank you to our Patreon community. We're so grateful for each and every one of you. If you're out there looking for community, people, open-minded people to bounce ideas off, thoughts thoughts off of, support each other, we highly encourage you to check out our Patreon community. We are a little bit biased, but we have monthly Q&As, a MeWe chat group, an ongoing MeWe chat group, and men's and women's group calls as well. If you're interested, go check out our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Patreon button. There you'll find all the information to sign up and the dates for the upcoming calls. I just had one more thing to say about that. Sure. I know we might be seem hyperbolic when we're talking about how huge it is, but this community for us has really been amazing for the last 18 or two years now yeah. that we've been doing it. Like we've met some of our, our best friends out of this group. And so, yeah, just a, a huge thank you to everyone who's a part of it. And if you're looking for a community, it really is uh, amazing and has changed our lives this last year. Yeah, so. you did a better job promoting it. No, I'm just <laughs> gushing over it and I thought I would share. The other exciting things we have coming up are meet and greets. So we have a virtual meet and greet coming up on October 26th from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. And then also an in-person meet and greet uh, in St. Petersburg, Florida on October 27th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern. For more information on both of those events, including how to sign up and how we're handling COVID for the in-person event, please go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the community events tab. Yeah. And just a quick note on those. You do you not have to be a part of the Patreon community to join the virtual meet and greets or the in-person meet and greets. Correct. So those are totally separate entities and have been a super fun way for us to get out and meet people. Hey, speaking of. What? We did a meet and greet last week. We did in Atlanta and it was incredible. We had almost 30 people and just had a wonderful time outside uh, at a brewery and just chatted for a few hours. It was incredible. Yeah. Just like the one in Ann Arbor, we, we went like an hour longer than we planned. So... Yeah, it's just been fantastic meeting everybody. So thank you to everybody who's listening and who came out to be a part of that. It yes. Was fun. And don't forget, you can contact us on our website, again, normalizingnomenogamy.com, and send us an email, send us a voicemail. We would love to hear from you if you want to come on the show or if you want to share some feedback for us, any of it. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. And now. Let's go. Talk to you. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Jan. For, thank you for being here. We're excited to chat and meet you. 
coming to us all the way from Europe. So we're excited. We love the international interviews. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're struggling with a bit of technical difficulties. We don't have power, but we're making it work. But there's such thing as hotspots, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're rolling with it. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, welcome. Uh, thank you for welcoming me. And thank you for having me as well. I'm very excited about this podcast and I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, we're excited as well. So do you mind introducing yourself uh, for us and for the listeners, please? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, my name is Jan. I am a 25-year-old relationship anarchist. I am part of a V, where I am the hinge currently, though both of my partners are trying to date as well. With the whole coronavirus situation, is slightly tricky, but you're probably aware of that. I... Uh, I'm struggling with finding an education slash career path that works for me currently, but I am trying to make that work and it's going pretty okay. I am autistic and I have ADHD as well. Um, I am from Europe, the Netherlands specifically, uh, and I'm also uh, one of the founders of a organization trying to make a new polyamorous pride flag. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And thank you for sharing all of that. And I'm excited to dig into some of that because I just, yeah, we get excited. And yeah. so I think we should start. Yeah, you should start. I should start. I think we should. I'm going to start. You said you're part of a V. Can you describe what that looks like in, like I guess, practical terms right now for you? And then I'm going to kind of jump back in uh, in time a little bit. Yes. Um, so I'm part of a V, which... Uh, means that I have one nesting partner, a partner, a girlfriend who lives with me. Uh, we've been together for one and a half years now, going strong for the second. And I'm in a relationship with another uh, woman who I have been together with for three years now, which is a um, almost exclusively romantic relationship. And she lives only seven minutes away from here. Um, and I've known her for about 10 years now. Well, my nesting partner I've known for about the same time as we've been dating. Awesome. Well, thank you for describing that, if that makes sense. Well, and so for anyone who's not familiar with a hinge or a V, right, it's sort of you're the the bottom of the V and each of your other partners would be the the tops of the V. And the the reason it's sort of a V is that they're not necessarily in a relationship with one another, right? So you're sort yes, of the correct. touch point. Okay. Just making sure for anybody listening who's not familiar with the letter V. The terminology. Or what a V. <laughs> or hinge. Or what a hinge is. Yeah. But you are you did say that your your two partners are potentially trying to date, and so that would change the V. I don't think date each other. No, that... date separately, yeah. Oh, date separately. Yeah. Makes sense. Good Got it. Okay. Other, but they're dating separately. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. So 25 years old, how did you learn about non-monogamy? How did you fall into relationship or, anarchy or get into, yeah, relationship anarchy? And, and, um, I think it started when I was about, uh, six. Um, I think that was the onset of the reason I ended up where I am. Um, at that point I started to really struggle with my, um, peers, the same age, um, probably mostly due to my autism and because of, uh, higher intelligence than them. Um, I didn't feel connected to any of them. And so I was sort of forced to think about what things meant for me and how I wanted to see life and how I wanted to experience life. Um, and that eventually sort of translated into um, a relationship I had, um, which ended because we were both also falling in love with other people, but we also both thought that's cheating. That's wrong. We shouldn't do this if we're doing something wrong. I then got into another relationship, another monogamous relationship, um, where I lost all trust in my partner because she said she wasn't falling in love with other people. Well, I couldn't imagine people not falling in love with other people. Um, so I started distrusting everything that happened between us, um, which eventually broke us apart. And when that happened, I started to do a lot of self-reflection and was like, I think I know where this is coming from. I think it's that that polyamory word I've been seeing around for for a while. Let me do some research into that. Um, and so that sort of started my journey into figuring out the terminology and the 
the language, learning about the community and what things mean and how things happen and what you can do. And so I really, it, it felt like that was part of who I was. Um, and so I sort of just dove in. Yeah. And so the, you said that like you kind of started having some shifts in your understanding of the world around age six. When, when did you like this first relationship that didn't really work out? And then the second one where you had the distrust because she wasn't falling in love with other people and you couldn't understand that. Was that like high school, early university kind oh, of time? Uh, yeah. The, the first relationship was when I was 15 and the second one when, was when I was 16. Okay. So yeah. teenagers, teenage years. Yeah. We're yeah. always trying to figure, I mean, the, as teenagers, you're always trying to figure everything out, right? Like there's, just, yeah, definitely. there's so much changing. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was wondering, yeah. And if you, if you were able to share a little more about the, the autism piece, because we've had a handful of people on the show who, who are autistic. And I think it is really helpful for anybody listening who is to know, like maybe what, what that looks like for you and then like how that has informed how you got into non-monogamy if if you're comfortable talking about it uh yes i am thank you for asking um well i've recently had this debate with a bunch of my friends who are also either autistic or have adhd uh, and we sort of fell onto the conclusion that um for a lot of neurodivergent folks probably not just autistic and adhd people but those happen to be the ones i know the most of you're sort of always rejected by no normal standard in quote society. Uh, and so you're sort of forced to think about what things really mean and why they mean what they mean. And I think if you're at least somewhat non-monogamous, um, it's an easy step to make that maybe love the way people describe it isn't the way you experience it. And maybe it's not what you want out of it. Um, and if you're inclined to research enough, I think you'll eventually end up at non-monogamy and i think that's the reason why uh and i think the big part of how my autism ties into that is um one of the main aspects that really comes forward with my autism is my brutal honesty toward people um which is also how i figured out in that first relationship that we both felt for the for other people because i had the internalized idea that it was wrong to feel for other people while in a relationship. Um, but because of my brutal honesty, I also just said, Hey, I know this is wrong, but I'm in love with another person. Uh, how do you feel about that? And I think that's probably the, 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 the brunt force of my autism that I just, I don't have that sense of nuance that sometimes um, makes you able to gloss over these things. Yeah, which is honestly, it sounds like sort of a superpower in terms of communicating with in within difficult relationships or or complicated relationships, because it's I think it's easy for like for me and for us sometimes to like, yeah, you're afraid to say something, you know, you kind of need to say it, but maybe you don't want to say it. So you're trying to find the best way to say it. And for you, like it can cause issues, but like you just kind of say it and then you go from there and figure out what that means. Yeah, for the most part, I think that's definitely a big part of it. Uh, I, I do obviously also am afraid of saying things, uh, but I don't think you meant that I don't feel that. Um, oh, I forgot. No, not that you don't care or that you don't, but... No, I was just going to say there was something else you mentioned that I, that I wanted to react to, but I forgot what it was. So. <laughs> okay, well, no worries. I say a lot of things, so I apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> um go ahead Emma. well but i think uh to to your point yeah it makes sense that you like you still are hesitant but like you that you have this you, brutal honesty honesty is important to you and um i think that it's a fine line right so like it's it's there's a part of honesty that's super important in her relationship and there's also a part of like you also want to care for the other person and not just completely like be super honest that destroys the other person and so walking that line can be super difficult yeah no that's definitely true um i have also definitely in past and in, in past relationships uh, had the experience where my honesty was not um appreciated as much uh they were 
they they came from a very traumatic traumatic relationship um and the way that i um vocalized things towards them sort of triggered that relationship again uh which made them sort of retract which made me uh poke a little more and that sort of went into this very unhealthy toxic uh back and forth that did not end up well but i think in most yeah i think in most part it's a positive for me i, I think the big the biggest uh, challenge i have with it is um the biggest challenge i have with my autism and communicating so honestly is definitely uh, the nuance which i am still learning but i'm getting way way better at <laughs> <laughs> yes that's an important thing for sure <laughs> yeah. well thank you for sharing all of that um it's greatly appreciated. Yes. So age 16-ish, you start to distrust your partner and you're like, maybe there's this polyamory thing. Where does the journey take you from there? Um, quite soon after that, um, I had a bit of a vacation fling. She and I uh, really fell in love with that sensual energy that was between us on the vacation. Um, but as soon as the vacation was over, that dimmed down so quickly. Um, and I think that was a key moment for me to go, okay, this, this might be something that I want to pursue, but it's not if it's the only thing I want to pursue. Maybe I should really give this polyamory thing a go. Um, so I sort of decided for myself that I wanted to try. Um, and so I went to just to, 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 I just went on with my life, actually. And at some point, I met someone on a ball um, who I had a very good click with. Um, and we hung out for a, a few times. We went on some dates. And I think around date two, uh, when we were both a, a bit more serious, uh, I was like, hey, um, so uh, there's this thing. Um, I think I'm polyamorous. Um, I'm not completely sure what that means from me yet, uh, but I think it's very important for you to know because I do want you to be comfortable with that. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, and to my surprise, uh, she was very enthusiastically like, oh my God, I have the same thing. I wanted to really try that. Uh, so we sort of just started casually dating. Um, and by chance, a, a good friend of mine um, also met someone who was polyamorous um, and they got into a relationship and we sort of started hanging out with the four of us and we kind of ended up in a quad, uh, which was amazing. Um, but it's also difficult as fuck, especially for your first polyamorous relationship. As a teenager too. Yeah, I think I was 18, 19 at the time. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. So we would love to hear more about how difficult it was because people who've listened to our show uh, have picked up on the fact that we've been into a similar situation. Uh, we, are, we are quite a bit older than 18 at this moment, but it is still really fucking hard. And so... A quad. A quad. The quad dynamic is... And we've talked to a lot of people who say like, that's poly on like extra hard mode and we're like oh it'll be fine and it is really hard and so i would love to hear what from your perspective what about it made it really difficult yeah I, I understand um i think the main issue with our dynamic then um was that we didn't all attach securely um i don't know if you're familiar with attachment styles Yes. But, uh, the the simplification of is of it is um, you have three main types of attachment. You have anxious. You have um, uh, oh, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and healthy attachment, basically, and combinations of them. Um, and most of us were not on the healthy attachment type, uh, but we did all really want to help each other and cared for each other, which sort of resulted into um, two of us. Um, getting into a bit of a fuss between the two of them. Um, and then the, the others completely unwillingly trying to help, um, sort of stirring that fire up. Um, because one of them would communicate 
um, in a way that the other didn't completely understand or misinterpreted. Um, and we would try to explain those things, but then slightly misrepresented the other's thoughts. And then the, they would have a conversation again and things wouldn't add up and they would get more fearful and things just kept stacking up and stacking up. And eventually it sort of broke apart. Um, not sure if we could have made it work back then. Um, but seeing where all those people went, if that was a current thing, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that we would be a healthy quad right now. Yeah. Uh, it's super valuable. And I think too, right. You kind of touched on something that, um, you know, we've heard about a bit is like the, the sort of the four levels of communication, right? There's, there's what you're trying to say. There's what you actually say. There's what the other person hears. And then there's what the other person thinks you're saying. And so if you're doing that between four people and you and somebody else are trying to like translate for somebody else, like between somebody else, like you're so far off, it's just going to be impossible. Right. Like, yeah. That's yeah. What we yeah. also noticed was um, if you have one person saying something and three people interpreting, interpreting, interpreting it, <laughs> um, eventually you'll have um, one point that is wrong uh in a slightly harmful way but usually it's also the one that gets your attention the most uh because people are often trying to look out for what's wrong and what they can improve on and if something that is wrong is you're just doing it wrong and there's no idea of how to improve on it people just keep getting anxious and then they start to hear things more anxiously and that also just keeps spiraling yeah that makes sense yeah it does so <laughs> Man, I can't. I, I'm still floored at the idea that you got into a poly quad at age 18. I just like I'm, I'm floored at that I, idea. I'm also still floored at that idea. So I understand. <laughs> so, so you went through that experience. It sounds like uh, you learned a lot too. Go ahead. Well, you how long did it, just how long did it last? I'm just curious. Like, how long did you go for it and try to make it work? It's slightly vague because there wasn't a clear end or start to it um, because sure. it turns out that's almost literally impossible with four people. Um, but I think the in total it lasted about a year, give or take a few months. Sure. No, I appreciate it. I was just like trying to give some, like, did you guys go for it for like six years or was it like... <laughs> Was it like, no, it was a month and we were like total mess. So yeah, I appreciate some context on that. And so what happens after the poly quad? You, you got some bumps and bruises there. Where did that take you? It took me um, to one of my current partners, actually. Uh, she was also part of that quad. Um, but we were uh, coincidentally dating like the least severely of the four of us. Um, and when we broke up, uh, we still, we didn't want to end contact with the two of us. We sort of, everyone else sort of left our lives, but we didn't want to do that. And so we stayed in contact. Um, and I think half a year later, maybe, um, we had a set sit down and went, okay, what am I to you? What are you to me? What do we want to call this? How are we going to present to the outside world? Um, and it was at that point that we decided we wanted it to be a relationship. We wanted to be able to call each other boyfriend and girlfriend. And that's sort of where that started from. And and this is the longer term romantic partner, correct? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And I guess I'm curious too, how has that relationship progressed over time? Um, strangely, but for the better in the end um because we've been through quite a lot together uh, there is a lot of trust between the two of us um i i can do some some dumb shit and she'll take a moment to process it before blaming me for anything and ask how things went and everything there's a there's a high level of confidence and trust between the two of us because uh i got into another relationship after getting into a relationship with her um and that was my recent ex that went, that sort of violently exploded into trauma for the two of us. Uh, and she was at the end of that one, she was sort of a bridge between me and my ex. 
and that definitely took a toll on our relationship as well. But that has been restored by now, and it's gotten even stronger, our connection to each other. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it, well, not amazing that you had to go through the the trauma <laughs> of the, the blow up and the breakup, but the amazing that it's brought you two closer. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry yeah. that 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 you had to go through that experience, though, with your ex. Thank you. Did it make it difficult? Did that experience make it difficult when you moved on from that and started trying to continue to date in the in a poly fashion or did your partner your current partner at the time that helped you go through that was it sort of like a wound that healed and she was ready to just help move on to the next one i don't know if i asked that very well and i apologize if that didn't make sense let me know (laughs) i think i understand what you mean you mean something like um did my current partner um, uh, add to the experience in a positive way of my breakup or did it sort of damage our experience or yeah i did a bad job i think I, that's my fault i am sorry um i think what i was getting at is like af- after that experience that was a little bit traumatic yeah did that cause you and her to step back from trying to date other people for a while or how oh. did that influence subsequent uh, okay. relationship dating basically yeah sure um, yeah so um the way that the breakup with my ex influenced my and her polyamorous dating life um is probably for the better um the it it, it went wrong with my ex like halfway through a relationship um and there was a point where there was a supposed breakup but not really um and if we ended there uh, I think we still might have been friends and everything was good. We'd had a rough period, but we'd just be better people for it. We'd have grown. Um, but the part after that where we didn't break up, that was just trash. It just ruined our lives slightly, um, and it didn't bring any good with it. Everything we could have learned from that, we had already learned um, if we took the time to process it. Um so for me, it brought a bit of anxiety and a communication to other people, which my that that current partner of now three years uh, really helped me with. Um, and she was at that time dating someone else as well, uh, and also going through a breakup slightly, um, slightly after. She sort of paused her dating life for a while, but not because of our breakup, but because of her breakup as she wanted to focus on herself more and go to therapy and really get that shit down before she tried pursuing other people. I took a while to reassess uh, what I wanted from people and especially how to set my own boundaries because I just basically didn't in that relationship. Uh, And by accident, quite quickly um, got in contact with my now nesting partner, um, who was also a very big help in my restoration process. Uh, so I basically didn't stop dating, um, except for quite a brief moment. But then I do want to make the side note that dating has always been vague to me because of my, uh, relationship anarchy. It's always been finding connections with people and trying to stop making friends because of a breakup doesn't seem like a good thing to me. So I didn't. And that sort of developed into my current relationship. Right. So I just wanted to touch too, you mentioned your nesting partner and it sounds like that person or she was, she came along in that journey of, of healing for you too. Um, yeah, definitely. And I'm curious how, since we touched on your, your other partner, that's not your nesting partner. How, how has your relationship with your nesting partner grown over the last, you said a year or so that you've been together? Uh, yeah, just over a year and a half. And how, how has that relationship, I guess maybe I should rephrase that question of, um, how have you seen yourself grow in that relationship? I think the main points where I grew in the relationship with my nesting partner is, um, confidence in my non-monogamy, um, and also, um, confidence in 
setting boundaries and saying no to things um, because I struggled with that a lot before. You know, you mentioned you mentioned boundaries, and that's something that kind of hits close to home right now for me because it's something I'm working on. And uh, I'm curious, how have you um, gone through that journey of of getting better at setting boundaries? I think the main thing that changed for me before and after um, that breakup with the ex is definitely knowing I'll be fine without my partners. I had this very, it was basically, it was a very codependent relationship, um, which sort of expressed itself in um, me going beyond what I was able to because I had their support, um, which made me able to go a little further. And then feeling that societal pressure of always performing the best you can, it sort of made me um, go too far and relying on, on her to back that up, which of course in the start of our relationship, she did happily because she wanted to put that energy into our relationship and into me. And uh, that was good. And I did the same for her. Um, but then at some point, everything got too much. But we kept relying on each other for that support to be able to deal with the the pressure that we put on ourselves, essentially. Um, and so when everything collapsed and spiraled out of control... I had a real sit down with myself and I just sort of went, okay, I never want that to happen again. How can I make sure that doesn't happen again? What did I do wrong? What could I do better? What did she did do wrong? Where can I go? Hey, don't do that. I know where this is going. And I think that helped me to improve that a little. Um, actually, I think it helped me to improve a lot, which I think expresses itself mainly um, in the way that I connect with my partners now. For example, a, day, a few days ago, I went to the zoo with my nesting partner, um, and I said something that she did not appreciate, um, and she mentioned that to me. Uh, and I, but I wasn't, I wasn't very clear on my mind. Um, but those experiences and those learn, learning processes made me able to go, I know what you're saying is correct. I know that you're on the right side uh, and I'm not, but right now I don't have the space to really acknowledge that or say sorry. So um, can we keep that for later? Uh, and I definitely wouldn't, would not have been able to do that in previous relationships. Yeah. That's a, thank you for the example. I think that that helps. Well, and, and maybe like what, what that I'm just thinking through like what that shift for her was right. That, in the past, if you had said something like that, that hurt her or wasn't nice, that rather than say something to you, she would just try to ignore it because she would be afraid that if she told you it might, it might cause an issue. But with the sort of this new level of security that now she's able to tell you that, and then you have to figure out how to respond to that. Did I, did I catch that right? I, I have the idea that you're mixing up my nesting partner and my other partner. Potentially. <laughs> well, then maybe I will scrap what I just said <laughs> and just say thank you. Yes. I, I appreciate the example and I, um, thanks for diving into that a little bit. I, I'm also curious, you know, you've been through a, a lot in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, like, I guess it's yeah. safe to say probably 10 years. Yeah. Um, where do you see yourself going in the future in relationships? I know it's kind of an impossible question, but I'm curious what you what you're thinking. I'm definitely currently trying to figure out um, how to have fun with other people without it affecting my current relationships, um, and also without it affecting me that much. And I think my next like five years probably. I'm going to start to want to look at getting children and really getting a, a family idea together. Uh, and for that, I kind of need to know what I want our family to be. So I think I'll probably be figuring that out the next coming years. Yeah, that's a that's a big step. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it's also, yeah, like it's. I'm sure that people listening are like, oh man, like that's, 
that's really exciting. At least this is my reaction. It's really exciting, but it also feels like, oh, wow, that's a lot to figure out too. But as you said, you gave yourself years. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always said um, I'm aiming for getting kids at 35. Then probably at 30, my biological clock will have caught up. And I think my idea was basically correct. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Do you mind, uh, yeah, and talking a little bit about what relationship anarchy sort of means for you? Because this is one of those terms that if you asked 100 people, you'd probably get 100 different answers. And I was just curious if you could talk a little bit about it from your perspective. Yes, definitely. And the way I see it is kind of the way I see my political stance, which is also anarchy. And I think the core value in it um, is basically not taking anything at face value and seeing how things work for yourself and what you think is good and bad. And I think the way that develops into relationship anarchy is um, by kind of caring about you and the person you have the relationship with before anything else. So, um, for example, I have a squish, which is a term for basically a platonic relationship, but not kind of, but ish, but slightly, but vaguely. Uh, and a lot of people think we're in a, we are in a relationship, but we don't agree that it's a relationship. We don't feel like it's a relationship, even if we don't necessarily know why we don't feel that way. And so we don't call it a relationship. And I think that's really the core value of what being in a relationship anarchist means to me is really deciding on a base by base, on a case by case way. It's really just deciding on a case by case way what people mean to you in what in which way. Yeah, I think that's I think that's similar to what we've heard from a lot of people, and I love that that like yeah, each relationship is its own, and you you sort that out with that person while being respectful of all of your other partners, right? Like. I yeah, I, I, I listened to a few of your um, episodes before this to get a, get a bit of an idea. Um, and one of the things that was mentioned in one of the episodes as well was the guy, a guy, Ryan, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep, that was a recent episode. Who was very much um, into this, ha having the entire constellation around you be a, a, a ball of happiness and loving each other. I think that's the most important part and the terms come after. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like that. It's, it's beautiful. Um, the constellation, I think. Well, and that the label is almost irrelevant in a lot of yeah. ways. If, if everybody's happy and healthy and doing what feels good for them and the people around them, then like, does it matter? Right. If you, if you and that person agree to not call it a relationship, like who, who cares <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. I think also yeah. because a lot of a lot of people ask me this, so I'll go ahead and talk about it a little. The difference that I think is between polyamory um, as its own type of relationship orientation and relationship anarchy. Um, a lot of people um, talk about hierarchy, but I don't think a lot of polyamorous relationships are inherently um, hierarchical. So I don't think that's the main thing. I really think with most labels that you sort of decide for for yourself, the biggest difference is um, the conscious effort to strive towards a goal. And how I feel it is that in most polyamorous relationships, that usually accounts for the polycule first and um, well, hopefully yourself first and then the polycule and then the rest. Um, and I think that the biggest difference between that and relationship anarchy is that in relationship anarchy is really yourself first and then the rest. Yeah. Yeah. That, thank you for that distinction. I think it's hard for some people, or well, I think in general, to sometimes wrap your mind around around those little it can so it can sometimes feel like nuances, right? Yeah. But I, I think it's helpful to talk through those. I was I was also curious how open are you in your life with with your relationship status and the way you, the way you do relationships to your friends and family. That's actually a, a very topical uh, question. I am personally very open about it. Everyone I know, uh, almost everyone I know knows exactly what I am uh, and how I'm and how I stand in my life. I was very quickly, I was very quick to be open with my family. I've actually always been very quick to be open to my family. I haven't really 
come out of the closet as being pansexual or anything. We we just sort of didn't care at our house, which was very nice. And the same sort of goes for polyamory, though that's a bit more of a thing because they're just not used to it, I guess. They've all tried to accept it as soon as they could and as quickly as they could and as best as they could, but there's definitely a lot of internalized monogamy in them. And so they did start out with the, but don't you get jealous? But don't you this? But how does this? But how does all those, all those very questions that you can basically answer with, how does that go in monogamy? It's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's it's a model that unless you really have looked into it, it is really confusing. Like the yeah, the jealousy, the how do you balance it all, right? And it's I had it's, a, I realized I wasn't actually I, I forgot a part of that uh that thing. So I'll, <laughs> if it's okay, I'll go for it. that first. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. So that was with my family. That was my sort of barely coming out story. Uh, there was a, a, a couple of months of acceptance, but then they were basically like, yeah, sure. What does it matter? He's happy. But my nesting partner, um, my nesting partner is not out to her family. That was, which is kind of strange because they're, um, they're very involved in the, a scene in our country that has a lot of non-monogamy in it as, kind of the default almost and they're like very well recognized names there her parents so i was surprised to hear that at some point in her youth um her mom openly said you have to be completely out of your mind to practice non-monogamy um and basically ever since that uh verbalization she's been kind of scared to come out understandably so uh so that's sort of a thing we're slowly trying to work towards because she does want to come out of the closet because it's not nice to hide part of yourself but it's also kind of terrifying sometimes yeah that's uh societal pressure and and family pressure is is huge uh, yeah it's huge there's there's uh i don't blame anyone for feeling that like it's it's hard to or to maybe I don't blame anyone for proceeding with caution sometimes and it, and doing it at your own pace too. And then on your own yeah. timeline, that's important as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need to sure. be comfortable with where you stand in life and with the people you stand in life right. with. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. And you, in that you mentioned coming out as pansexual to your family. And I guess is that how has your, your exploration of, sexuality tied into your non-monogamous journey your relationship anarchy journey i think strangely it hasn't really actually um i've just always sort of been pansexual and i've never i've never thought about it as anything other than just who i am i've never been Mm -hmm. like um oh maybe that's not okay maybe people will judge me for some reason it's just kind of accepted my whole life no one has really judged it or anything so the same as being straight probably for most people yeah i think that's amazing because like i would say it should be that that way for everyone definitely right Uh, for sure for sure i i wish i didn't even have to ask the question i wish it was just (laughs) like this is just yeah i mean and it is right for us it's not a big deal but i think again hearing that and like uh, knowing that there are people listening that are like oh yeah man I'm pansexual and how, how does that fit in? Do I, am I going to be accepted in this community or something along those lines? Right. So I love that it's just been part of who you are for so long that it just doesn't even matter right. in a sense. Not that it doesn't matter, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. We touched, we touched on relationship anarchy and we touched on polyamory and all of, all of the things we've discussed, which have been amazing, but I'm, it sounds to me that you are pretty out and open, like you shared about who you are, about the way you practice, practice relationships. And I was wondering, do you have any recommendations or advice for people out there who are trying to be more open uh, in talking about all of these things from your experience? I think the easiest thing to do that I've not done myself personally, well, partly I've done so myself, but not consciously at least, um, but that I see a lot of my friends do, is research about 
non-monogamy and what it means and sort of having backup arguments against what people say, that will probably make you a little stronger in your shoes. But I think the way it happened to me to be so comfortable about talking about it with people um, is just being comfortable with myself mainly. And I sadly don't have any great tips on how to just sort of be okay with yourself if you're not. Um, otherwise, I would definitely share. But I think the biggest thing is just I've had people in my life that just accept me for who I am. And at some point, I s just started to express that to myself as well, often out loud. Um, there has been a, a very key part of my life where people used to say things regarding attraction or good looks or anything. Um, and I would just go, oh, you're talking about me? Uh, and I didn't believe that at all. I didn't think I looked good at all. But just doing that so profoundly started to definitely help my self-confidence. And I think the self-confidence ended up being key into just expressing to people who I am. And if they're not okay with it, then it sucks for them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really hard place to get to, but it's super powerful, right? That like, yeah. Hey, if, if you don't think I'm attractive or whatever, then like, there's a, there's 7 billion other people. One of them will, or probably more than one. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think it also helped the, just the concept of how many people live. And I think at some point I saw a statistic of how many people you meet in your life, um, which is a ridiculous amount of people. And a, a human can only keep in contact with about 107 people. So from those 7 billion, well over 7 billion people, you're definitely going to end up with a nice group of people that love you. Yeah. Assuming and not, not only assuming, but like if you can start to be your authentic self, you will start to attract the people around you who love you for your authentic self. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Right. Which is the, the mission we're on every day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> be your authentic self and love your authentic self. Uh, as I had a question about the, the culture, um, in the Netherlands. So that's something that, and maybe you have questions to expand on this, but Finn, but, um, you know, we're not as familiar with the, with the non-monogamy culture in Europe. And I was curious, how prevalent is non-monogamy in the Netherlands? And what is that community like? It's definitely a difficult question for me to answer personally, um, because I'd never really heard of it when I was a child until I got 15 years old, I think. Um, at that point, it started to become sort of a term some people would have heard somewhere be it either in biology books with just animals who aren't in monogamous things like swans or something, or outside in media um, in a surprisingly non-negative light. And I think that really helped with it to set the sort of scene that we're in currently. Uh, I think polyamory in the Netherlands is fairly accepted, um, but it's definitely one of the least accepted things one of the things we're talking about with that organization I'm a part of uh, is our inclusion into the queer space and if polyamory belongs there inherently or not and things like that. Uh, I personally, so not our community or not our organization, but just me personally, I do believe that polyamory is inherently queer and that ID stems mostly from um, how I see my bisexual and gay friends being treated by people who don't accept them and seeing myself be treated by people who don't accept me because it's nearly identical. And so uh, if you kind of don't find the right places, people definitely sort of look down on it. I know at, at one point when I was in hairdressers college, one of my, um, one of, one of the people that was teaching me um, learned that I was polyamorous and just like daily started making comments about how my love wasn't real and how I did wrong things and how God would definitely smite me for it eventually. Uh, so that's definitely also still part of the culture. Uh, I think that the, the, the most difficult thing that you have in the Netherlands is that overall people are very accepting and very, yeah, sure, whatever, which also means that we have a lot of mixed cultures, which also means that cultures that are 
violently monogamous almost um are also just normal here so it's 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 a strange mixed bag that when you walk around in the street you see people wearing full hijabs and just next to them punk, punk people with barely any clothes on and we just coexist uh, but that definitely clashes sometimes in the extreme forms. Exam- for example, non-monogamy, which is apparently still an extreme thing. Right, yeah. right. Thank you for expanding on that. I, it, it's just, I find it fascinating to learn about what, what the non-monogamy cultures are in other countries too. Yeah, and if we ever have to flee the U.S. again... <laughs> Um, and <laughs> again, we got to know, we got to know where to go. So we appreciate it. Um, and you, you mentioned the organization again, Polyam Proud, and I wanted to give you the, the floor to talk about the, why, why did you form the organization and like, what's the mission and like, how can people support, uh, you as well? Well, thank you for the opportunity. It started initially with me and one other person, um, Christian is his name. He made a new symbol because prevalent on the polyamory flags or um, in the community is the Pi symbol, which was the, I, I forget the name, but it's a symbol made to not be visible by outsiders. So only insiders know what it means. Um, you had the parrot, the poly, uh, which was popular Apparently, it was wildly popular for like a year and then not anymore. And then after that, you slowly saw the infinity heart rise, right? Which is just this heart with the yes. landscape in through it. And I really liked that symbol. Um, and then I saw someone making a flag saying, hey, we should get rid of this symbol. Um, and I was like, why though? Just because it's ugly? But that's just because people suck at design. I'll make my own one. And then I posted on Reddit as well, just as that other uh, founder. And he responded going like, I really like this idea of um, giving people a list of options and just having them vote. Uh, but I really, I really want to say that we shouldn't have the infinity heart on it. And here are my reasons why. And so I read them and I agreed at least partly. Uh, so I was like, I mean, sure. The only thing I care about is unifying the community around a single flag do you want to cooperate and he said yes and so we hopped onto discord and we chatted for a while and we messed around with some flags and with the infinity heart and some other symbols and his own symbol and we eventually settled on using his symbol for the next set of flags that we wanted to do um but through that those few hours of just talking and going back and forth about our designs and doing a little research on the flags and stuff, we realized we were probably the first people to try this to cooperate with each other. Most other um, uh, attempts at changing the flag were just people making a flag and going, hey, here's the new one, use it, which I'm thankful for still because some of my favorite flags have emerged from that. But fact stays that if I use those, almost no one will recognize it. And so we just sort of started going, okay, what if we get a community vote on a new flag, just like the Texas flag did? Because Texas at some point got the polyamorous community together and voted on a new Texan polyamory flag, which is also very pretty. And we were like, maybe this is bigger than what we were anticipating. Maybe this is something we can actually do. Um, And so we started slowly working on it. And we had this idea of like trying for a few months and then putting up the votes and then um, seeing where things went. Uh, but I think after a week or so, we had a little sit down with the three core members of our then group. Um, and we just sort of said, like, we think we can really make this work. We can really make an impact. We can really increase the visibility of non-monogamy at large on the entire world, maybe. And so we started trying that. Our initial push was to go for a pride month of 2020 which was a complete failure uh, and i'm happy we accepted that defeat because it let us do so much more we reached out to so many large names and everything and i think we're really starting to get people to see how valuable it is to have one symbol that the outside world as well can just look at and go all right that's that polyamory thing right and learn more about it and to help us grow the acceptance of our community. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think that's a 
it's a beautiful story of how the two of you have started to collaborate and work with work together. So how do people, I guess, find what find you and support you? So the easiest thing, um, our main uh, platform is currently Instagram, but we're trying to uh, build out to everything we can, essentially. That's within our reach. We currently have a Twitter, a Tumblr, an Instagram, a Facebook, and a Reddit, and a website, actually. And they're all poly and proud. Um, if you go, we have a link, a link tree as well. That's just mm-hmm. linktr.ee slash polyamproud, P-O-L-Y-A-M, proud. And that's where you can find all of our socials and interact with us and maybe even go, hey, I have this skill that I can help you with. Uh, we're almost always looking for volunteers. So every all, all help is appreciated. The share is appreciated almost the most. Yeah. Awesome. And we will put links in the show notes for everything you said so people don't have to try to memorize what you said. Yes. Um, links will be in the show good notes. Links will be there. And yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, again, thank you, Jan, for doing all of that work, for sharing your story with us, for like, yeah, collaborating and, and approaching problems in a cooperative and collaborative way that's i don't know that's what we're all about and so we love hearing that and we want to give you the chance if there's anything else you didn't get to talk about that you wanted to talk about um give the opportunity to do that before we say good night because it's nighttime on your end of the world and we need to eat breakfast still (laughs) (laughs) um well thank you in first it's it's been a great opportunity to talk to you as well and in that, in that, in that little bit that I have, I also want to thank you for what you're doing, because what your what what your podcast is called is essentially the same goal that we have: normalizing non-monogamy. I think the biggest issue that I struggle with in the goal that we have with our organization is people who don't feel like changes change is necessary, um, like we're privileged enough; we don't need more privilege. Um, and I, I guess I understand because I've been in that position myself, not towards non-monogamy, but towards other things. Um, and I would just say that why not try? Why not let, even if you don't care about a flag, just don't use it, right? Just let people who do want to unite under a f- one unifying symbol try their best at creating that opportunity. Um, and I think that's the most important thing that I wanted to take out of that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of that, for all of your hard work and for coming on the show and sharing your story and, um, and for recognizing our work too. It's very much appreciated. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think with that, we'll, we'll let you go and enjoy the evening and, um, we're going to make some food and (laughs) thank you so much again for, for everything. Well, thank you very much as well. And you're welcome. Have some nice dinner and thank you for having me. And we're, we're back. back. Whoa. Crushed it. Boom. Um, <laughs> a boom town. <laughs> a huge, huge thank you to Jan for reaching out to us, coming on the show, and for the amazing work that you're doing with the Polly and Proud as well. We're super excited to promote your work and get the word out there. Yeah. Uh, just echoing Emma's gratitude. It's it's amazing. So everyone listening, please go check that out. Find out how you can support them uh, and maybe vote on a flag. Yes. Also, we did last week mention that we had a special bonus episode coming this week. Now, surprise, again, we're actually not releasing that this week because we are reworking a few things and trying to make it a little bit bigger than what we were doing. So... That's we're really, super excited about it, though. That's like, really, really vague, but more information will be coming soon. Yeah. It was... It was going to be one episode. Now it's going to be bigger. Right. It's going to be a couple episodes. And we're super excited about it. And I don't want to give away more details because it sounds like Emma wanted to continue to be vague. Well, I'm just, no, I'm not. I'm going to be vague right now. Stay tuned. We'll be, we'll, it's coming soon. Gotta be patient. It's coming soon. Be patient. What do we got next week? Next week, we have one of the most powerful episodes we've ever done with Gabby. We have her back-to-back episodes on Monday and Wednesday for two very different conversations, but both of them amazing. So thank you in uh, in advance to Gabby for, for coming on the show and sharing everything with us. Again, these are amazing conversations. And so we're really excited about that. Yes. 
And I, I think, think that's that, it. That's it. We're not no no special shout outs to stdcheck.com. You'd have to <laughs> you'd have to go listen to a previous episode to even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, or just go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and you can find all the information you're looking for there, including podcast show notes and links to Polly and Proud and Jan's work as well. Good. I set you up for that. Yeah, you did. Good job. All right. Uh, I think you go. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Nailed it. You almost got it. <laughs> High five. <laughs>